Friday night now. Back to our Friday night rendezvous, ladies and gentlemen. It's your host, Lucky Larry Aluciato. I'm saying it like I used to on my old records, but hey, Larry Crane, Lawrence Crane, Aluciato, I'm your host. I'm back. You're back. We're back. I'm glancing out at a vivid skyline in Newark and New York. Empire State Building is lit up bright crystal blue. The Chrysler Building is light up in its iconic white lights. The Mars Wrigley Building in Newark is sky offices are lit up. Prudential Center, there's an event going on. There's so many cars, I can't count them all. The traffic's flowing because the world is reopened. We started this during COVID-19. We are now beginning it again, anew, as you might say during the revitalization and the rebirth of our society to some extent. It's crazy because when I started uh, putting together the soundtrack for this show, I used the same introduction for 9-11 as I had used one year ago. And it's crazy because I it almost feels like that was yesterday, right? When I played that intro, it felt like I was just sitting in this chair. I was just looking out this window. I was just broadcasting to you talking politics. It seemed like yesterday. But so much has occurred between that yesterday and today. I mean, I traveled to D.C. I had a a world and an experience, a life all its own there, you might say. A chapter of life opened and closed in four days in D.C. I had epic memories, time spent, memories shared, experiences shared with friends and family. And those who caught my eye and maybe ran away with my heart since then. Yet, it feels like I never left. It's interesting. Life seems like a series of those events, doesn't it? Like when you go to work and you sit down in your chair, even if you spent a week away, it feels like you never left work. But when you come home, it feels like you never left home. I wonder if at the end of life, it's going to feel like it all flew by. Even though some moments seem to drag on forever, at the end, it seems like it all was a blur. Anyway, enough of my wax poetic, although I do enjoy writing as you've come to recognize through my various articles that I've shared and whatnot. Let's talk about what's going on in the world. Now, just a little word on how this show is going to go. I'm going to be on 8.30 Fridays live. To be honest, there's really there's really one person that I I switched to Friday for, okay? That this person is um, very important to me and the show, so I switched mainly for this person. But I like Fridays in general, and uh, every other week I think in in council with my consiglieries, as you might say, I have several of them, not just one. In a pool in Central Jersey in the rain, <laughs> we came up with the idea that maybe. And every other week structure was better because in every other week structure would allow for the news to accumulate and for me to catch my breath and still have some freedom on Friday nights. So we're going to do 830s from now until further notice every other week. 
So I welcome you from across the country, from Boston to Jersey to Arizona to Louisiana to Florida to California and Oregon. I'm happy to have you back. Let's talk about what's going on because so much went on. I had to take the summer off, but so much went on. Let's let's start. Let's start with the big news of today and the big debate of today. And I appreciate that, Vri. I'm glad you're back in the live session too, talking. And it's happy. I'm glad to be back. Let's talk about what happened today with Joe Biden. Everybody's when I left you guys, Joe Biden was okay, right? He was still the quiet old man that everybody kind of dug and it was kind of cool with. And now that I'm back, Biden's like, you know, public enemy number one in a lot of circles. And, you know, some of that's deserved. Some of that's not so deserved. We're going to get into all of that tonight. I promise you every last bit of what's on your mind we're going to get into. So let's talk about the first thing. Biden today made an announcement about a new COVID-19 vaccine mandate for federal workers and other people. And I'll get to the details of what that mandate means. But first, let's talk about the vaccine. Everybody's fighting about the vaccine. The vaccine's like number one news. All summer, everybody wants to talk about the vaccine. Did you get the vaccine? I'm not getting the vaccine. Who's getting the vaccine? They're making you get the vaccine. I stand up for choice. Why would you ever get the vaccine? You better get the vaccine. Blah, 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 blah with this vaccine shit. Well, let me give you a perfect illustration because we're always talking about how the mass media and the news can mislead people on this show, aren't we? How mass media gives you only a portion of the picture, not the full picture, and it skews things all over the place because it primarily sustains itself on clicks, hysteria, fear, argument, those types of things. Well, this is a perfect example of that, right? When the COVID-19 vac, well, first of all, when COVID-19 first came out, let's rewind. When COVID-19 first came out, I say it came out like it was like a new release or something. It was just a damn plague. But anyway, when COVID-19 first came out, the, the one thing we wanted, like we're, we're trying to get fans into sports events. We're trying to keep the economy open. We want schools to go on. The one thing we wanted, right, was a vaccine. Right? All we heard was like, well, they're working on a vaccine. We don't know if we can get back to sporting events, but we're working on a vaccine. Hopefully we have a vaccine by then and we can get back to work. We can get back to life. We get the damn vaccine, and all these people all of a sudden don't want to take it, right? And then something interesting happens, right? Specifically considering the mass media, right? So the vaccine comes out, and a lot of people choose to get the vaccine, and a lot of people choose not to get the vaccine. Now, there's various reasons for this, right? Some people never get vaccines. They're scared of it. Some people, you know, just don't want to do it because whatever. They just want to wait and see what happens, yada, yada, yada. I think a lot of people didn't get the vaccine initially because of cultural reasons. Right now, I know people who were just scared. They generally don't trust anything. They don't want to do it. I I know people like that. But I know a lot of people who just culturally like I'm on this side of the political spectrum. You're on that side of the political spectrum. So I'm not going to get it. And it starts taking on a life of its own. Right. Once you commit to not getting it, you don't want to ever concede and acquiesce and go get it. You just want to stay on that side. And once you get it, you know, you got to be like a pro vaxxer all day, every day. I'll be honest with you. When the first came, I was like, "Eh, I don't know when I'll get it. But then I was like, look, for the good of society, I'll go ahead and get it. And I'll set the right example and I'll help to open up society. So I got it. But anyway, back to the mass media aspect of this thing that I want to explore. The media had this 
decidedly, you know, pro-vax slant from Jump. And so the media initially really made it a priority to say, hey, you really got to get the vax and we're going to try our best to either scare people or push people into getting the vaccine. And so the media, ironically, went so hard at trying to keep COVID-19 in the front of our minds and went so hard with trying to push the vaccine that it actually backfired on them. And I want to explain how they did that. Now, when Delta, so everybody, so we're out here, we're getting the vaccine. And a few months ago, you know, everybody who's going to get the vaccine has received it, right? And everybody who's decided they're going to dig their heels in, they're not going to get the vaccine has decided not to get it, right? And so at that juncture, there's a real impasse, right? Half the people wanted it, they got it, half didn't. The states that were more, you know, the northeastern states, the west coast states, they all had higher vaccine rates than the southern states and the heartland states. What else is new? Welcome to America. Um, So then the media starts cranking out this stuff about the Delta variant. Now, the Delta variant's a very real variant of COVID-19, It's the next step in the evolutionary chain of the virus, if you will. It is definitely scientifically, factually more capable of infecting you than the alpha variant, which is the original strain we were dealing with. It can infect people quicker. It's more deadly. The symptoms are worse, right? The media wanting to keep COVID in the forefront of everybody's mind and wanting to scare everybody into getting the vaccine, they started doubling down on the Delta variant. And one of the things they talked about with the Delta variant was they started pushing this idea that, hey, you better get vaccinated. You better get vaccinated. If you don't get vaccinated, we're in real trouble because the Delta variant, the Delta variant is infecting everybody. It's infecting everybody. It's really deadly. You're going to die. You're going to die. And when that didn't move the needle, then they started saying, well, the Delta variant, the Delta variant, the Delta variant is infecting the vaccinated even. You are killing society because if you don't get vaccinated, the Delta variant is going to start penetrating the vaccinated and then no one's protected. And if we let the Delta variant keep circulating and you still don't get vaccinated, it's going to kill all the vaccinated people, too. It's out of control. It's the most deadly thing ever. It's our defenses are useless against it. Right. They thought that by pushing that narrative, they would get everybody to go out and get the vaccine. But really what that narrative did was they pushed so hard about how scary the Delta variant was, how much it could penetrate the vaccinated population, that people simply said, well, hey, shit. If Delta can penetrate the vaccinated, too, then why the hell would I even get vaccinated? Apparently, vaccines don't do anything. That was the logic they started to regurgitate. And then CDC would leak certain things that were alarming and the media would step on the pedal and put a headline. And, you know, no one reads articles. They just read the headlines. So the headline would say right away. The headline would say. You know, vaccinated people have the same viral load as non-vaccinated people to try to scare everybody. Right. And anti-vaxxers would run with that. They'd run with that. Be like, see, it's the same viral load. I mean, the narrative became the narrative became that the only thing the vaccine would do for you is it would lessen your chances of getting seriously ill or being hospitalized. 
the vaccine, they said the narrative became that the vaccine would essentially just limit your symptoms, but it would not prevent you from catching it at all. And then the narrative became, well, if you're going to get the vaccine, it's just for you. You're being selfish. It's just to protect you from serious illness. It doesn't it doesn't prevent spread. It doesn't prevent the virus evolving. It's not taking one for the team for society. And the media did that to itself, right, by by promulgating this theory that Delta was so potent that it penetrated vaccinated people. Well, it turns out that that's simply not true. That's not true. And a recent article came out just last this Tuesday, September 7th, uh, in The New York Times. And this article essentially said, look, Let's recalibrate. Let's refocus. The actual chance of you getting COVID-19 once you've been fully vaccinated is more like one in 5,000. And the article broke it down even further. It said, in fact, if you're in an area like the Northeast or California, where a high percentage of the population has been vaccinated, it's more like one in 10,000 chance that you're going to even catch COVID-19. In fact, it would take about three months of being out in society with that rate of infection, three months of just being out and about living your life normally for the risk of you to catch COVID-19 Delta variant if you're fully vaccinated to even reach 1% of a chance. So essentially, the studies have now shown That if you're vaccinated, it's highly, highly, highly unlikely that you'll catch COVID. And it's highly, highly unlikely that you'd catch the Delta variant. Now they're reporting more accurately. The truth is, if you're vaccinated, you are much less likely to even catch COVID. And if you're much less likely to even catch COVID, you're much less likely to spread COVID. And if many people in the society are much less likely to catch and spread COVID, then COVID will eventually die out. We can go back to life. That's why I got the vaccine to go back to life. And New Jersey is sprung back to life. As I mentioned, the Prudential Center, Broad Street in Newark, we're back to life, New York, because so many of us are vaccinated. We're allowed to do that. Now, the whole viral load hysteria, the article in the New York Times discussed that, too. The fact is that even if the initial viral load in a vaccinated person and the initial viral load in a non-vaccinated person are equal. The difference is that in the vaccinated person, their antibodies are control are attacking that viral load very quickly. Even if upon initial infection, the viral load is equal, by the time that viral load is ready to infect somebody else, it's dead. It can't infect anybody else and it won't even get the person sick. The person who's unvaccinated, that viral load will continue to build. It can infect other people and get them sick. So that was misleading. The only study that says otherwise that the vaccine may be less effective, still 60% effective, but less effective, was in Israel. That study is an outlier, an extreme outlier. Every other study has said otherwise. And there's an article upon article upon reasons why the health department of Israel has, first of all, they vaccinate everybody much earlier. So maybe their immunity is waning, which is why they're pushing this third shot. Also, the way they test it, they 
replicate the virus in the sample so many times that there's more likelihood of it coming up positive. What their agenda is, what their reason, I don't know. But the fact is the vaccine is highly effective. And the fact is that the more of us who get vaccinated, the less of the virus is circulating. I don't know how much more we can explain this simple, common sense, factual, scientific, studied reality, guys. Take a look at San Francisco schools, right? San Francisco has an extremely high vaccination rate. They opened their schools in mid-August. They have 62,000 students. 62,000 students they opened in mid-August. Do you know how many people have been infected in the school system and how many school-wide outbreaks they've had in San Francisco since they opened in mid-August, which is a month ago? Zero. They've had zero outbreaks. Compare that to Mississippi. Mississippi, where vaccination rates are very, very low. Statewide, they've already had 18,825 students with positive COVID cases. They've had seven children die of COVID. They have had massive outbreaks. They've had to close the schools, start the schools, close the schools again because COVID is circulating way more rapidly. There's a reason why we don't have many issues in New Jersey, why the governor of New Jersey, despite how liberal he is, has declined to enact mask mandates, has declined to enact vaccine mandates in public venues, has declined to close things because we are so vaccinated here, well over 50 or 60 percent, that the likelihood of spread is lower. Getting vaccinated will help us to beat COVID-19. How could I explain this in a, in a way that's illustrative of, of what we're going through? We'll, we'll take this example, right? Say you have a bulletproof vest on, not a vest. You have a bulletproof outfit on, right? A complete bulletproof outfit on. Now, it doesn't protect you 100% from getting shot, right? It only protects you 98% from getting shot, right? You're a slight piece of your neck is exposed, right? But the rest of your body is completely insulated, completely protected from being penetrated by a bullet, right? There's still that 2% chance some bullet will hit your neck, but it's very unlikely, right? Would you rather go into a room and walk around in a room where two people out of 100 have a gun, therefore... Only two people can shoot you with bullets and maybe get to that neck area. Or would you rather walk around in a room where 40 people had a gun and they were all shooting at you at once? Which scenario do you think you're more likely to catch a bullet in that'll kill you? That's kind of how the vaccine is, right? You're not 100% protected if you're vaccinated, but you're 98%. But the more people around you that are not vaccinated, that are passing Delta around like hotcakes, the more likely it is you'll catch it. That's why the vaccine can still work. And yet we could still want people to be vaccinated. Right. Period. That's that's how things work. Right. It's not that crazy. It's not that far. And it's common sense. You want more people to be vaccinated. It prevents infection. 
there's not any other really way to explain this stuff to you. It's simple common sense, right? That's the fact. It's not 100%. It's 98% effective. 98% effective. The more people around you that have it, the more likely it is you'll get it. That's why we want more people vaccinated. Right? I don't know why it's so hard for some people to understand, but it, it, it appears to be. It appears to be. The less people you have capable of infecting you, the more likely it is that the whole thing will die out. Will die out. And then when it comes to the vaccinated, and we're still talking about bullets, well, what if you had a bunch of people shooting bullets, right? They all have COVID. They all caught it somehow. But now... The ones who are vaccinated are shooting blank bullets and the ones who aren't vaccinated are shooting real bullets, armor penetrating bullets. Would you rather be in a room full of 50 people with blanks or 50 people with armor penetrating bullets? It's not that hard to figure out. The whole thing is not that hard to figure out. We've beaten serious illnesses throughout human history with the use of vaccines. That's how it works guys now think about this you got armor that covers 98 percent of your body if you get hit by a bullet not only does it make you really ill but now you can be somebody with a loaded gun right 98 percent of your body's covered though right now you have to go into a room kind of like the zombie apocalypse you have to go into a room with 10 other people right now if you go into the room with just you with the body armor on, but the other nine of you have no body armor. And once they get shot, they start shooting at you, right? Or you can go into the room with nine other people who all have the 98% body armor on. And they only shoot at you if they get hit in the neck. Who would you rather go with? What chance is better for you not to wind up shot at the end, right? Of course, it's if everybody around you was also armored, because then the chances of any of you getting hit are much less, which therefore make the chance of you ever getting hit much less. That's vaccination. That's vaccination. I don't know how, how much more I could break it down. That's it. And the other thing is, look, if you believe in evolution and you believe in Darwin's theory of evolution, right? Things evolve as they reproduce. It took human beings millions of years to reproduce into the state we're in now. I don't know if it's a great state or not. Time will tell. Okay. But we're in the state we are due to evolution, right? Viruses are the same, except viruses have a much shorter life cycle than humans. Viruses are much smaller entities. So viruses live and die much more quick and their generations are much more rapid. And so they evolve much more quickly, right? So the more virus that gets to reproduce, 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 the more it varies. And the more it varies, the more it turns into a variant. And a variant is getting more evolutionarily equipped at penetrating our defenses and infecting us and thriving. That's what natural selection does, right? So if more people are vaccinated in the world, 
that bulletproof vest, less people can get infected. Then the variant struggles to evolve, right? COVID-19 struggles to evolve because, you know, COVID-19 doesn't reproduce as rapidly, so it can't evolve into more deadly variants. So anyway, at the end of the damn day, after all that rant and rave, the fact is that getting vaccinated is doing something for society. Getting vaccinated is lowering the chances of any of us getting infected. Getting vaccinated is lowering the circulation of the virus in society. And probably most importantly to most of us, getting vaccinated allows us to reopen as a society, to reopen our schools, to reopen our businesses. So if you get vaccinated, you are in fact taking one for the team. You can grasp at straws. You can pull up outlier studies. You can come up with nonsense journalism to counteract that very basic fact. But it's simply true. Simply, flat out, true. And there's no way around it. There's no way around it. And it's interesting, you know, and I'll get to the Biden mandate in a minute, but it's interesting to me. The anti-vax crowd, right? Because what are they always screaming and yelling about the most? They're always screaming. And then that's the other thing. CLR, you bring up something good because you say that I'm strong and won't hurt me. That's a new narrative. I actually posted an article on Facebook the other day. And it said that some people had super immunity, super immunity to COVID-19. And people liked it without reading the article. I know they did because I know who liked it. And they, they liked it, but they shouldn't have because they're not vaccinated. I think they liked it because they thought they were the ones who just were, you know, randomly selected for this super immunity because they had caught COVID. But really what the article was saying was a new study has emerged that shows that people who both had COVID naturally and beat it and then were subsequently vaccinated by an mRNA vaccine, i.e. Pfizer or Moderna, then some of those people are actually super immune. The confluence of the natural antibodies that took place in their body from beating the disease the first time with the uh, antibodies that developed from the vaccine made them super immune. The chances of them getting infected and by virtue of not getting infected, passing it were minuscule, minute. I may be one of those people because I beat COVID handily while doing this podcast and drinking Heineken's. I beat it handily. Then I was vaccinated by Pfizer. So really, the chances of me contracting it, knock on wood, because if these things keep multiplying and the variants keep getting worse, who knows? But the chances of me getting it are very slim. That's who they were talking about. But anyway, talking about choice, these people, you know, melodrama, suburban melodrama is at an all time high. And and, and that's a lot. Takes a lot for me to say that because suburban melodrama has been at an all time high for a very, very, very long time. So for me to say that even now is more so than it's been in the last several years is it takes a lot. But when when Biden comes out with this mandate and when people talk about this vaccine, I mean, we're talking about the cure we're talking about the cure to a devastating illness. We're talking about the anecdote to our problems over the last year and a half. We're talking about the solution to a conflict. Okay. And these people are acting like, how dare you make me take that? It's against freedom. It's against personal autonomy. It's against choice. Number one, no one's making you do anything. We're just saying, if you don't do it, you can't do this or that. 
Okay, that's number one. But how much privileged melodrama do you have to have to start pontificating and grandstanding about personal choice, about friggin' COVID-19 vaccine mandates, when what they're doing in Texas is, is the absolute antithesis to anything to do with bodily autonomy I've ever seen. Have you seen this law in Texas? Have you read about it? Have you thought about it? First of all, let me explain what happened in this, because, you know, again, the mass media with their rush to get everybody scared and panicked and angry, you know, the headlines are misleading, right? You would think in reading these headlines that the Supreme Court took Roe versus Wade, crumpled it up, wiped their butts with it, throw it in a landfill, lit it on fire and tossed it in the Passaic River. That's what you would think by the headlines. Okay, they took Roe v. Wade and they just flushed. it. That's not what happened. Let me explain to you, as some of us like to call it in the legal world, the procedural posture of the situation. What happened was a group of abortion providers in Texas upon this law coming out, and let me explain this law first. I want to I want to talk about this law and how ridiculous this law is. But but let me just kind of explain what it is first. It's and I, you already know what it is most of you anyway if you're listening to this show. But the law says that private citizen it basically gives private citizens a cause of action to sue anybody who received an abortion more than 6 weeks from their last period. I'll get get to the law. Trust me, I promise. Or anybody who helped them procure an abortion. Private citizens have a cause of action to go into civil court and sue people who get an abortion or who help people get an abortion outside of six weeks for damages, for $10,000 damages. It's basically a civil bounty on people's heads who get an abortion. Anyway, Texas passes this law. They're about to enact this law, right? While this law is about to be enacted, the Texas abortion providers sue the state of Texas, saying this is a violation of Roe v. Wade. This is unconstitutional, right? The lawsuit is the first level of federal court, which is federal district court in Texas. I don't remember which district, but it's there. When they get sued, the state files a motion for summary judgment. That means they're filing to just get the lawsuit thrown right out of court. Like they're suing us, but they don't even have a right to sue us. Throw the lawsuit out. The court says, no, we're not going to throw it out on its face. We're going to hear the case first. We're going to hear the case. That's where the case still is. It's still in the lowest court, right? The lowest court said, we're not throwing it out. Our ruling, your motion is denied. We're not throwing it out. We're going to hear it, right? At that point, the state filed an appeal to the circuit court, the Fifth Circuit Court, saying, well, they shouldn't have denied our motion to dismiss. And in the meantime, we want you, we want you to hear our motion to dismiss, okay? That's like in criminal court. If, if we were engaged in a trial for a murder... And the defendant filed a motion to say the gun should be suppressed. 
we should suppress the gun because the cops got it illegally. And the judge says, no, I'm not suppressing the gun. Then the defendant appeals it directly. Just the gun issue. Just saying, should they suppress? The trial hasn't happened yet, right? The trial hasn't happened. The jury hasn't even been selected. Nothing's happened. They're just appealing that one issue. That one issue, right? And I'll get there, CLR. I'll get there. So they're just appealing the motion decision right now. The higher court, the Fifth Circuit, has said, okay, we will review whether the lowest court was right or wrong in not granting your summary judgment motion. The abortion provider said, okay, you can you can look at that issue, but while you're doing it, it's going to take months, and then you still got to kick it down to the lower court to go through the whole argument process and actually decide this thing on the merits. While you're doing all this, can you at least pause the law? Can you pause the law so that the law doesn't go into effect? Because we're dealing with some serious stuff here. Just put it on hold. The Fifth Circuit said, no, no, we're going to hear the law, but the law can go into effect in the meantime. So the abortion providers in Texas said, "Okay, well, we're going to appeal that to the Supreme Court, not the whole case. Not whether the law is constitutional. We're going to appeal just that you won't pause the law while we're doing all this stuff to the Supreme Court. That's all that the Supreme Court heard, whether they should pause it in the meantime. Supreme Court gets it. And five members of the Supreme Court say this. They say, look, they're all conservative members, right? And I'm not saying this is the right decision. This is the wrong decision, okay? But what they said was, you might have a claim, abortion providers. This might be an unconstitutional law. But we don't know if we have jurisdiction because you're suing the state. But really, the people that are allowed to sue you are private citizens. So if you're suing a private citizen, you got to go to state court. You're suing the state, but the state's not really doing anything to you. It's just a cause of action from the private citizens. We don't really have jurisdiction, so we're not going to rule on pausing it right now because we don't really know if we can decide this kind of lawsuit because it's not the state that's infringing on your constitutional rights. It's the private citizens, but no private citizens have sued you, so how could we have jurisdiction? Right or wrong, that's what they said. Now, Roberts, who a lot of people on the right and left don't like, I am a big fan of Roberts. Roberts saved Obamacare. Roberts was a great dissent on a couple death penalty cases where he was pro-death penalty, which I don't want to get into right now, but I am pro-death penalty in certain situations. Roberts was the first dissent. He said, what the hell are you doing? By the way, a Bush appointee, a conservative, supposedly, but a lot of conservatives don't like him. He's very moderate, down the middle, my kind of guy. He said, look, I understand your little BS reason that we don't understand the jurisdiction. I understand the little legal crap why you can't technically decide this thing. But if we let this law go through, you're essentially banning abortions in Texas in the meantime. And that very well could be a violation of Roe v. Wade. 
So what the hell are you doing? And all the other liberal justices, the other only three of them now, agreed. And they wrote varying dissents to various degrees, all agreeing with that. But so now the Supreme Court basically said, we're not going to pause the law while this goes on. So they kicked it back. So right now where we are is the Fifth Circuit is deciding whether the summary judgment motion should have, should not have been granted. Probably on that same issue, whether they can sue the state when it's really private citizens that are suing them. And then once they make that decision, they're either going to dismiss the case and somebody else has to refile under a different theory. Or they're going to say, well, the the lower court was accurate. We're kicking it back down to the lower court to continue the case. So the case is going to take a long time to get through all of it. And no, they're not all men. No, 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 they're not. No, Coney Barrett, the woman, she's the one who wrote that opinion, I think. Was it her? Somebody correct me. I don't know who wrote the opinion. Um, but yes, she she voted against. And, and look, Trump put a lot of conservative people, some of them unqualified into the Supreme Court and the, the federal court. They were all qualified at the Supreme Court, but eh. But the federal court level, like circuits and whatnot and federal district courts, there's a lot of people in there that are very conservative. So I don't know how it's going to go at the Fifth Circuit. I don't know the makeup of the Fifth Circuit or the lower court. I don't know. But while it's all in limbo and while all this legal maneuvering is going on, abortion is essentially illegal in Texas. Now, let's talk about this law, because, again, back to these nuts who are apparently freedom fighters, melodramatic freedom fighters when it comes to vaccine for bodily autonomy. But this Texas thing, they don't say anything about this is empowering John Q. Nobody to sit outside and watch an abortion clinic. And if he finds out that some woman is beyond six weeks from her period and wants to get an abortion, he just has a cause of action to sue her. And he could sue as many women as he wants and collect money from suing the women and the doctors and the cab drivers and the husbands and the boyfriends and the mothers and the fathers, anybody else who helped them. He's going to collect $10,000 a head. It's a bounty to private citizens to go into other people's privacy and sue them for their own choices. And not only that, you want to know how primitive this law is? How primitive and, and, and sexist and absurd and caveman-esque this law truly is? The law straight up is six weeks from your last menstrual cycle, six weeks from your last period. It's not even scientific, right? It's like the dumbass idiot guy on the street who didn't graduate high school's opinion of how long it should be for you to know you're pregnant. Well, since your last period, I mean, have you had your period? That's where we're at. (laughs) Not since, you know, fertilization, not since uh, medical documentation of the pregnancy, you know, not since, you know, the, the cell has attached to the uterine lining. No, 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 no. Since your last period, if you're six weeks outside your last period, you can't have one. And old Earl right here going to take you right into court right now. Sue you for that now, ma'am. You know, friggin' break with this nonsense. This is the world we're living in. This is the world. We're, like we have COVID going on and the same state, the same state that, ref- that refuses to allow people to wear masks, that refuses to mandate vaccines, so that can spread throughout the population. The same state that does that is now empowering John Q. Loser to go sue people. Number one, I don't know how that's cognizable in a court of law, because right in civil law, one of the pillars of English common law, law 
which is what we use in this country, which I think is a beacon of societal progress. I love it. One of the best pillars of civil law, as was handed down to us from old England, is that if you're going to sue for damages, you have to actually show damages, damages to you. So how the hell on God's green earth in the salt of the earth of Texas are people that have nothing to do with the abortion going to prove damages to themselves for other people that they don't even know getting an abortion in the amount of $10,000. It doesn't make sense legally. There's no legal doctrine in the history of this country or any other country that enables a collection of $10,000 for damages that don't exist. That's number one. Number two, this is a society where I railed the other day against like, you know, democracy perverts itself over too too many cycles, right? Just like capitalism does. And my, my theory, and I don't want to get too far into it, but it's basically, look, you, you get to a point where the populace is expected to make every decision or the populace has a direct impact on who's elected for office, but the populace is vastly undereducated and the populace is vastly unequipped to make those decisions. So a democracy that's ill and not educated and has gotten perverted through being too old and advanced to the point that everybody has a say, but no one knows what they're saying and no one knows what they're talking about. We get into a bad place and we're there now, right? So many people have a voice on social media. So many people have a voice doing all these things. That's why Donald Trump gets elected and more on him in a minute. Okay. All these people have a contribution and a say. And what's this law doing? This law is empowering more of the, the nobodies, more of the losers, more of the people with no life, no contribution to society. It's empowering them. It's making them feel important. And that's what I detest maybe most about this law. You're empowering loser, Sally Jane and loser, Billy Bob, who have no job, no life, no nothing, no common sense if they think abortion is the biggest issue facing the country right now. You empower those people to sit around all day, have no life enough to find out what other people are doing with their bodies within six weeks of their periods. How they find that out, I have no idea. It's real twisted. It's real sick. And then enabling them to walk into court like they are somebody and sue people for doing things with their own bodies and their own families. You're empowering people who don't need any power at all to do powerful things. It's the village idiots running the society. That's the danger of this empowerment of people who don't know what the hell's going on, who have no sense. And that's what Texas is doing. This is real backward stuff. And what's scary to me is, so, okay, so say the Supreme Court is is keen to listen to this nonsensical way that they've sidestepped the law, i.e., hey, it's not the state infringing, it's the private person. I don't know. I got to be honest with you, though. It's in effect now, but I don't know how any court, any, any lawyer – who went to law school, who practiced law, who got on the bench, can sit here and tell me that there's a cognizable damage 
that enables this type of lawsuit that makes it viable in court based on over a thousand years of common law at this point, you know, say we're rounded to 500 years, whatever. Who, who could sit there and say that's cognizable? Number one. Number two, though, say the Supreme Court is really keen on listening to this absurd, ridiculous argument. It gets all the way up to them and they, they go with it. None of the five of them have any sense. And if Gorsuch doesn't have that sense, then he should be kicked to the curb, too, because everybody has that sense. Unless you're you're stupid. Sorry. Unless you're a complete political hack. You know that it's not cognizable. Forget the constitutional considerations. It's not cognizable in civil court. But if they do go ahead and let this law stay and they put their rubber stamp on it, what I'm scared of is not the law itself. Yeah, because then, yes, you're damn right. Alabama, Florida, every other one of those states will go ahead and do the same thing. And abortion will be essentially illegal in the South. Of course they will be. Of course. But what I'm more worried about at that point is not that the law will just stay in in power. What I'm more worried about is that the Supreme Court will lose all legitimacy, right? The Supreme Court will just be another hand of the political nonsense that we're in today. It won't have any legitimacy as a neutral governing, you know, body that calls balls and strikes and keeps everything fair and and calls what the rules are in our society. It then becomes just another political arm with all the other political arms in this country where nothing that they do is anything other than a political hack move to advance their own political ideological agenda. And if that happens, then the society is going to be so destabilized that the society is going to be at extreme risks of crumbling. And again, with our present sense bias, you may think, oh, geez, Larry, how could that ever happen? That's happened time and time and time again in human history. If that Supreme Court does not maintain its legitimacy and allows a law like this to, to pass muster, they are putting themselves at extreme risk for, for losing all legitimacy, which is putting our society at risk of collapsing. Flat out. Flat out. That is the, the agenda. The agenda is that they're Christian fundamentalists and they think abortion should be legal. It's that simple. It just benefits them by they just believe that, Period. Period. Abortion should be legal. No no one has to know what benefits them. You have all these people all the time that vote against their interests. They vote against their interests because they're they're swayed ideologically, not because it benefits them. People don't even make those calculations anymore. All they do is vote with their emotions and the team they're rooting for. They're so indoctrinated into this idea that abortion is murder that they're so hell-bent on stopping it. Even while we have all these other things going on, like a damn pandemic that's killing people that they don't want to get vaccines for. Anyway... Those people are ranting and raving about their bodily autonomy. In the meantime, they're letting that law go by like it's nothing. And in the meantime, Joe Biden today came out, and this was why he was so vilified today. Joe Biden came out with a vaccine mandate, right? And Biden's vaccine mandate essentially affects 100 million people. It's a big, big mandate. It said that any company, even a private company, that has 100 or more employees, even a private company with 100 or more employees needs to mandate the vaccine for their employees. He's not even given the testing option anymore. And he said any healthcare facility that receives any funding from Medicaid or Medicare must also vaccinate their employees. 
Now, of course, there are religious waivers. There are medical waivers. If you are at risk by getting the vaccine because you, for instance, have um, anaphylaxis, you know, you're not going to have to get it. If you have some legitimate religious exemption, you're going to be able to apply for that. Now, of course, the Republican states already said they're suing. I'll take away these women's rights, but I'll sue you like hell to make people get a shot to save the world. <laughs> so crazy. All about freedom. Freedom freedom is, is a flexible term. And look, it applies to both sides. You know, don't get it twisted. Freedom is freedom is a flexible term and they use it when they want to fit their agenda the left and right both do it it's all nonsense the only people that stay true would never be on the left or right because they'd start gravitating between the two because freedom you know either side is trying to restrict it one way or the other so if you truly believe in freedom you wouldn't belong to either side you'd kind of be in the middle or independent but that's you know my own thing anyway the vaccine mandate's a big thing. And look, you know, a lot of people I saw agreed with it. A lot of people didn't agree with it. Um, people are up in arms about it. People are happy about it. Look, at the end of the day, here's my thing with the mandate. I genuinely don't care if you get the shot or not. I just think if you get the shot, you're helping society move forward. But here's my thing. I live in New Jersey. New Jersey has a pretty good vaccine rate. New York has a pretty good vaccine rate. We're up, we're up and, and running. I'm back at work. The schools are open. I loved it, by the way. Post-Labor Day, you could just sense that like the world was really coming back this time, right? The traffic is more in my city. The school buses are rolling. The people are back in their office. The stadiums are packed for football games. We are kind of back. So my life is back. Right. My state is okay, And now the new studies coming out showing it's highly, highly, highly unlikely that I would catch it because I'm vaccinated. So the risk to the vaccinated is less. Yes, there's still this risk that it's going to evolve amongst the unvaccinated, which could put me at risk down the road, which sucks. But it's more minimal. So I'm not so focused right now on the unvaccinated getting back, you know, the vaccine. I don't care all that much. I'm not all that invested in that. Right. I'm really not. But I understand Biden's dilemma, right? Because he's like, look, you people, you keep it circulating. The schools are stopping and starting, starting and stopping in the South. You're losing children to it. Your economies are shutting down. You're allowing the thing to fester and evolve, which puts everybody at risk. We're never going to get the hell out of this thing unless we up our vaccine rates to essentially starve this thing out. Remember my bullet analogy. Again, it's not that hard to understand. And Biden's thing is like, look, if you don't understand and that's somewhat how I feel now. If you still don't understand, and, I, and to be honest with you, I think most people do understand. I think most people do understand. I think people just don't want to do it because of cultural reasons. And when I say culture, I don't mean ethnicity. I don't mean race. I mean like political culture, right? They just don't want to do it. They just, I don't like it. It's mamby-pamby. It's liberal stuff. Or on the other side, it's the man telling me what to do. I don't want to do it. That's what I think it is. Most people are vaccinated. If they're not vaccinated, it's for a, a, a socio-political reason, right? To be honest. That's what it is. So Biden's kind of saying, I don't care anymore if you disagree, agree, don't get it. I got to just make you do it because I got to get the society running. And the only way to get the society running is by mandating this vaccine. That's the only way to do it. So that's what he did today. That's what he did. Now, we had people I saw 
talking about already i saw somebody you know somebody who's well off well off own a big company that they inherited from their family they posted right away you know i miss trump suburban well i miss trump because biden did a vaccine mandate i miss trump and let me just let me rewind a second too because people did this too and i'll get to afghanistan in a minute but people did this with afghanistan too right when we lost the soldiers tragically and obviously i reflect upon that and i'm a big advocate for our soldiers and i'm a big advocate for our armed forces everybody knows that i constantly continually uh, discuss that and advance that agenda and, and 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 represent that um when we lost the soldiers, people acted like that was unprecedented, too. They're just like, oh, I, I'm mad. Biden's so great. Yeah, right. I mean, imagine if we had Trump. Oh, I miss Trump. Uh, uh. Trump lost people every day in Afghanistan. It's just that you're not tuned in. No one's tuned in. Just like when I talk about the people who protest some of the police shootings, but they're not tuned in to the violence that occurs every day. The same thing applies. If you're going to um, if you're going to get on those people. You got to get on the other side, too, right? Because all of a sudden, you're up in arms. I heard Boomer Esiason on the radio the other day, too, because you know he's like a closet, you know, Trumpy. He's on the radio like, they got to have a moment of silence for the 13 fall. And they should have a moment of silence. But he's only saying that for political reasons. Because the fact is, soldiers, unfortunately and tragically, pass away under every president, including Trump and including in Afghanistan, all the time. They just want to hone in on this one incident because they want to act like it has something to do with Biden versus Trump. So when you let me just say something about Trump real quick. OK, just because Biden and I'll get to Biden's whole thing in a minute, just because Biden isn't slaying things and the best guy ever in no way means that Trump was a better alternative. So stop, stop saying Stop saying that, oh, Trump, oh, so great with Biden. Imagine we had Trump. Trump was the lowest of the low joke. Never should have been in the office at all. He's a bum. It's like saying, oh, Dak Prescott didn't beat Tom Brady. I wish my high school quarterback from my corny high school who got sacked 10 times a game, who completed two passes in a season, Who's now, I don't even want to say, who's now just nowhere, a bum. He should have been the quarterback because Dak didn't win. That's what it's like. That's what it's saying. Biden not being great doesn't mean Trump (laughs) was a viable alternative. Trump will never be a viable alternative to anything. The guy spoke the other day. The other day, the guy spoke because they were removing the Robert E. Lee statue in Richmond, he said <laughs> that had Robert E. Lee been leading us in Afghanistan, we would have won. Robert E. Lee. Think, think about that. Robert E. Lee, the guy who lost, <laughs> lost the Civil War and maybe could have won it, but he made tactical bad decisions. Robert E. Lee, who lost, would have somehow miraculously with his 19th century acumen that wasn't good enough in the 19th century, won us a 21st century war. That's where Trump's head is at these days, okay? Because Trump doesn't know anything. Trump just speaks what he thinks his audience wants to hear. 
He just thinks they like Robert E. Lee. He doesn't even really half know who Robert E. Lee is, so he just says something stupid like that. Trump is just ridiculous. The guy is off the map. So just because Biden's doing a vaccine mandate, it is the peak melodramatic privilege to sit there and say, I miss Trump. Why? You miss idiotic, irrational, nonsensical, erratic behavior on a daily basis. If Trump was in office, the 13 soldiers would have died in Afghanistan. We would have had this whole tragedy. And no one would even notice because of all the other nonsense he's doing all the time. All the other nonsense he's doing all the time. They wouldn't even notice this because he's so many tragedies every day because the guy is incompetent as hell. So let's stop that, will you? Every time Biden does something, they you know they don't criticize Biden because they care about politics. They all of a sudden they, and I agree, very they do. And all of a sudden they, all of a sudden, oh my God, politics concern me. I wish we had Donald J. Trump. He would have handled the situation much better. No, they're they're just obsessed with Trump. They're Trump groupies. They're not even into politics. They only got into politics a couple of years ago when Trump won. Now they're watching politics, and every time something comes across the news, when the news does their mass hysterical nonsense, and they put Biden up there. They just say, oh, I wish we had Trump. Like, you don't know anything. Go to a Trump rally. Go to a Trump concert, Trump stand-up comedy show, and stay out of it. Because it's a nonsense thing to say. Let me just say that. Now, before I get into this Biden thing, because let's talk about Joe Biden. Let's talk about him. How's he done? How's he doing? Let's talk about Afghanistan. Afghanistan is a disaster. Biden has handled Afghanistan terribly. Biden handled Cuba Terribly. Biden has been so underwhelming in international affairs. I don't know what to say. Doesn't mean Trump was better because Trump sucked. Trump was way worse than this. To be honest, in my opinion, with international affairs, Trump was way worse. That bar is so low, it doesn't belong in the presidency. It doesn't belong in the Oval Office. Okay, So we're not talking about that. We're just talking about Biden. Biden has been very underwhelming. Now, before I talk about Biden in Afghanistan, I want to just play you a little something. I'm going to pause the jazz for a hot minute and I'm going to play you something because everybody's so quick, especially these Trump nuts. They're so quick to talk about, oh, I wish we had Trump. Trump would have been better with Afghanistan, blah, blah, blah. Well, let me play you a little something about Trump in Afghanistan. Let's pause the jazz and I'm going to play you a little something right now. Take a listen to this. Take a listen to this. This says a whole lot. This is Donald J. Trump. Worse than Afghanistan. How about that? Worse than Afghanistan, where, by the way, I started the process. All the troops are coming back home. They couldn't stop the process. 21 years is enough, don't we think? 21. They couldn't stop the process. They wanted to, but it was very tough to stop the process when by a government that wouldn't last the only way they last is if we're there. What are we going to say? We'll stay for another 21 years and we'll stay for another 50. The whole thing is ridiculous. That was Donald J. Trump, your savior, telling you flat out that he made it so that no one could stop the process of pulling out of Afghanistan. And he knew for a fact that the only way the government would stand would be if we stayed there. And he knew the government would collapse If we left, yet he made it so that we had to leave. Donald Trump, the savior, that would be so much better. He's the one who created the mess. So don't get me started. Don't start acting like he would have been so great because he's terrible. He knew what was going to happen. He's the one who started it. That being said, 
I can't stand when people consistently try to find an angle to defend their guy at all costs and not criticize their guy at all and just root for the team. To sit there and act like the only perpetrator in the Afghanistan situation, the only guy who got it wrong was Donald Trump, simply because he made the initial deal to pull out, is flat out not true. Okay? Joe Biden has reversed Trump on so many issues. He reversed Trump on immigration. The border's actually a mess because he's got no policy down there, Biden. No policy. Just because he was in such a rush to reverse Trump, he didn't even implement an actual coherent policy down there. So the border's a mess. He's reversed him on so many other things, so many executive orders. He's trying to re-engage Iran for the nuclear deal, which is a reverse from Trump, which I agree with. He's reversing Trump on the climate deal, which I agree with. So don't tell me he couldn't reverse Trump on the Afghanistan deal. He could have. Biden used the Trump thing as an excuse because he agrees with Trump. And they both wanted to pull out and leave Afghanistan and the Afghani people with no recourse to be ruled ruthlessly and oppressively by the Taliban. Period. Biden could have renegotiated, and if he didn't want to renegotiate, say the Taliban didn't want to renegotiate with him. Well, then they might have had to fight a little bit, and guess what? We would have won. Now, Biden, to his credit, he didn't want to fight because, God, if he lost some lives in Afghanistan in a skirmish because he went back on Trump's pullout deal, he'd get criticism for that, too. That's, That's the nature of the job, though, Joe. If he lost lives fighting the Afghanistan, the Taliban, because he didn't adhere to Trump's timeline, Trump would say, well, he should have adhered to my timeline, wouldn't have lost any lives. And then people would have accused him of staying in too long. But if he pulls out like he did, then he's going to lose lives. People say, why did he adhere to Trump's timeline? It's a joke. It is a joke. Pulling out of that place that quickly, that abruptly was a joke. It was friggin' terrible. I don't care if it's Joe Biden. I don't care who I voted for. That was terrible. The optics were pathetic. And another thing, once he does it and he pulls out and we lose all the people die and people are clinging to airlines trying to get out. People are being beaten right now. There were journalists who were bruised all over their back, beaten. Women are going to be oppressed again. I know they're saying otherwise, but I don't believe them. They're going to host terrorists again. They're going to sponsor terrorism again. You're damn right they are. Joe didn't have to do that. We should have maintained a presence in Afghanistan. We've maintained presence in all kinds of other countries across the globe for years. Now, some people say we shouldn't be doing that. And whether you go to the Bernie left or you go to the Trump right, everybody's in agreement. We should pull out of the international affairs. Let me tell you something. We are an international power. Our influence and our interests stretch globally. That's a fact. If we want to remain a global power and we truly want to flex our muscle, we truly want to be a global power. We are constantly and perpetually involved in international affairs. That's just the way it is. Now, you can disagree about why we're involved in international affairs. That's valid criticism, right? Why are we involved in certain international affairs? Because it benefits us economically and we completely shun and ignore other genocides across the globe when it doesn't benefit us economically. That's a valid criticism. That's one of those outside the box things where I would say I'm all for international intervention, which is like blasphemy today. However, I'm for a consistent approach 
policy-wise to international intervention. If we're going to do it one place, we'll do it everywhere and we'll do it for the right reasons. And I'll tell you what, some of those reasons are economic. That's life. That's life in society and human nature as a worldwide empire. That's the truth. And that's what we are. And we're rescinding. We're losing our empire status. We're crumbling. And some people are content with that. Let's just pull back because we're crumbling at home. Let's not fix anything. Let's not do anything. I don't, I don't buy that crap. And it's funny because a lot of people who are all of a sudden like don't love America and they act like, oh, we're separate. You know, we don't celebrate different holidays from each other. We're not. As soon as the Afghanistan thing happened, everybody I saw was saying we this and we that. Why did we pull out? Why didn't we do more? Why did we lose? Why didn't we win? All of a sudden, there's this galvanization of Americans because we all felt like shit when we pulled out of Afghanistan and lost. It was terrible. It was terrible. And this is with Cuba. Cuba has an uprising. We've been trying to liberate the Cuban people from the communist regime for how long? And I don't care about these. I know. Listen, there's people on the left. I see the Bernie AOC crowd. They're really scared of criticizing Cuba because they've been holding Cuba up as some kind of beacon of equality with their schools and healthcare for so long. But the people of Cuba are oppressed. All right. The only reason they're not in famine is because they opened up the economy, certain segments of the economy to foreign investment and capitalist investment. Otherwise, they'd be famished. So when this came out, he didn't want to touch that either because you don't really want to criticize Cuba. So everybody started saying, well, it's the blockade. It's the blockade. The blockade. I've read article after article from sophisticated people who are educated on the Cuban issue. And the blockade is one small, very minute precipitating factor of the overall problem in Cuba. The people in Cuba are, have about had it with the regime. They're, they want liberation. And Biden slept at the wheel on that, too. He could have pushed. He had his foot on the, the neck of that regime. And he could have pressed his foot down and maybe liberated Cuba. But he didn't. He sat back and did nothing. And when it came time to deal with Afghanistan, the optics were just pathetic. It's one thing when you screw up a withdrawal that bad. One thing when you screw up a withdrawal that bad. But then he goes on TV. He goes on TV and he goes through like a half hour of nonsense. He sounds like Trump. Remember when Trump was talking about COVID and Trump used to blame everybody but himself? Like, you know, it's these liberals, they're pushing the COVID thing, and it's these Chinese, they hid the COVID, and it's everybody else. And, you know, if we could just not, not everybody wants to assault me, everybody wants to attack me over COVID, it's not my fault. You know who that sounded like? Biden. That's how Biden sounded when he goes up there and he's like, oh, you know, Trump made the deal. And, you know, the Afghanis, they don't really want to fight and they don't really have any backbone. And, I, you know, what can I do? I, I didn't do anything. I'm just caught up in this. Oh, blah, blah, freaking blah, Joe. You think Barack Obama would do that? You think George Bush Sr. would do that? Because I don't. I think Barack Obama, looking at the situation, would have got a brief on the situation, would have said, well, I guess we can't leave then, can we? Like, no, Barry, we can't. He's like, well, I guess we'll have to commit more troops. And then he'd get attacked from the left for his drone strikes, which he did like a G all the time. Barry wouldn't go down like that. George Bush Sr. would lose an election, which he did before he goes down on principle. Come on. Come on. That was terrible by Biden. Disappointing to say the least. Now, let's move on a little bit before we go to phone calls. Still on the subject of Joe Biden, who, listen, 
to be clear, I'm not saying Joe Biden's the worst president ever. He should, you know, be impeached. He should burn an effigy. I'm not saying that. Just saying valid criticism where criticisms do. You know, inflation is through the roof, too. Okay, he's got some issues going on. He's got to fix them. But I'll tell you this. I am happy that I can wake up and go to sleep every day. And the issue, see, I can rail and get this passionate about Afghanistan and inflation and mandates. I can get passionate because I'm into politics, right? I'm a poli-sci major at Rutgers. I have always been a political commentator. I've had political podcasts going back to the blatant minority, which is, what, 2011, 10 years ago? And I was into it before that. Amongst my friends, I was talking about politics back in the Bush years. Before I could even vote, I was dragging people to the polls who could. My dad can tell you. I've been arguing with him and talking to him about politics since I was, what, 13, 12? Arguing with my grandfather? I mean, I'm into politics. So I can be excited and, and, and go against Biden and have a passionate conversation about his policy agenda and his policy arguments. And still go to sleep at night knowing that he's not batshit nuts and just going to completely make a fool of himself in an international meeting. Okay, like there's a difference. So don't get it twisted like Joe Biden, the president, like overall, I'm comfortable with the guy as the president. I'm just calling out the stuff that he's done that I really don't agree with and that has disappointed me. Let's get that just straight. So now let's talk about one other thing that, I, you know, I kind of explained the court situation with the abortion law in Texas. And now I want to kind of talk about the the congressional infighting that's happening with these these domestic laws that Biden's really staked his presidency on a little bit. And again, I don't understand that totally. So one of the I think the best thing Biden really accomplished thus far, which hasn't completely been accomplished yet but i think will be accomplished and it's one of the primary reasons i might have advocated for biden in the first place was his stance on infrastructure right and and you guys have heard me so i'm not going to belabor it to death his stance on infrastructure i have long said was one of the things i agreed most deeply with him on We have no excuse to not rebuild our tunnels, our bridges, our mass transit systems to make them more uh, eco-friendly. We we have no excuse. It hurts our business. It hurts our morale. It hurts our economy. It hurts everything to let our infrastructure crumble and rust the way that it has been. So one of the best things that Biden has accomplished, in my opinion, was to get this deal passed in the Senate between all the Democrats and a big chunk of Republicans, even McConnell agreed to this infrastructure deal, this bipartisan infrastructure deal. It's a huge spender. It's a $1.2 trillion infrastructure package, $1.2 trillion. So to get these Republicans to agree to that in the 21st century is a feat in and of itself. Now, whether that's acceptable or not is another conversation, right? Should it be that hard? Probably not, but it is. So to get them to come to the table and sign on to it is a big thing. And and I, I think it's big for two reasons, right? Number one, it's big because we need it, like tangibly. We need that law. We need that infrastructure, right? But number two... To to show the country that, look, there are things in this world, there are legislative 
agenda items that we can agree on, right? We can work together. We can come to the table. We're not just always diametrically opposed for the sake of being opposed. When something makes sense, we'll get it done. So there was the tangible benefit and the kind of abstract benefit of just showing us that we can still believe in our government functioning that got this bipartisan deal through. So now the, the bipartisan deal passed in the Senate. Now, the, the way this works is like there's a filibuster in the Senate, right? So you need 60 votes to get anything done, which means you need 10 Republicans to get anything done. It, unless it involves some kind of budgetary thing. It's a weird kind of nuanced thing where you can get certain things through without 60 votes. You can use only 50. 50-50 and then Kamala Harris breaks the tie. 51 to 50 is how it works. So they got this infrastructure bill through with a bunch of Republican votes, 13. So they had actually 63 votes for it. And now it's in the House. And in the House... There's another so there's another bill tied to it, right? So early on in the process, when they were first advancing this idea of infrastructure, there was what we consider infrastructure. If you say the word infrastructure, you think of like roads, bridges, trains, planes, those things. So the infrastructure bill would get New Jersey, New York to get the tunnel built, et cetera, et cetera, right? But then the Democrats, especially the Bernie Sanders camp, they started saying, well, and look, they tried it. They tried it. They tried it with the minimum wage a year ago, too. They tried to see if it would gain traction. Republicans have been great with this, right? Frank Luntz. It's bullshit, but he's been great, right? You say, instead of saying you're anti-abortion, you say you're pro-life, right? That that kind of nonsensical, instead of saying you're anti-gay, you say you're pro-marriage. That nonsensical, you know, uh, equivocal, you know, rhetorical way of speaking has gotten a lot of traction for Republicans. So the Democrats tried it, right? Bernie Sanders tried saying that, We're not just doing infrastructure, like hard infrastructure, like trains and planes and cars. We also need human infrastructure. So we need to expand Medicaid. We need free college for community college. We need free pre-K. We need all kinds of benefits. We need child tax credits every month. We need all spending, spending. We need all this. We basically need to vastly expand the welfare state. We need to vastly expand the social safety net, vastly expand it. And that's also infrastructure because that's human infrastructure, right? He tried it. It didn't work, right? It didn't resonate. People are like, nah, it's not really infrastructure. We're talking about infrastructure, right? That's human infrastructure. It's not really infrastructure. That's welfare programs. Bernie, that's entitlement programs. It's not, it's not what we're talking about. You know, he tried. It didn't work. So what happened is they, they have two separate bills. The $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, which is like the tunnels, you know, those things. And then this, quote, human infrastructure bill, which is really just a wish list of what progressives want, the Bernie, the AOC camp. This is just stuff they want, period. It doesn't really fit into infrastructure. Just a lot of things that they want. It's expanded pre-K. It's expanded child tax credit. I mean, right now, people with kids are getting money every month. You know, it's technically a tax credit, but they're getting payments every month, you know, because they have kids. It's a a vast expansion of government-funded programs, which you may or may not agree with, right? But also tied up in this Bernie bill are, you know, more measures to counteract climate change. They're also trying to tie the Voting Rights Act to this thing. They're trying to push everything into this thing. 
and pass it with a simple 50 vote majority in the Senate and just muscle it through under the guise of being a budget issue. And a lot of people think, whoa, 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 wait a minute. The Republicans who voted for the infrastructure bill, the $1.2 trillion, said, hey, I'm down with infrastructure for actual physical, tangible infrastructure. I'm not down with all this other stuff. Bernie's bill would cost $3.5 trillion. Now, you got to remember this because we're already vastly in debt. Now, granted, we're vastly in debt to ourselves to some extent, but the way monetary policy works and economics works, you can't just print money because the more money that's in circulation, the less the money is worth. If everybody had a million dollars, then a million dollars wouldn't be worth a damn thing, right? It's not, it doesn't matter how much you have if everybody has it. The worth is relative to how much is out there. The scarcity of the money, the scarcity of the currency is what gives the currency value, right? So if you just printed money, the money would be worthless. That's why right now everything's more expensive. Now, it's not just because we're printing money, it's because you know, the prices of resources have gone up because demand was so small during the pandemic and now demand has, you know, abruptly ballooned. So resources are more expensive. That's partly to blame for the inflation. But also partly to blame for the inflation is we've been printing money. We've been giving all these benefits and stimulus and extra unemployment and everything else into the world. And now it's not really needed as much because the world's opening back up, but there's all this money in circulation. So it leads to things like labor shortages. People don't want to go to work. Things are inflated in price. Golf courses are packed. Golf is more expensive. Cars are more expensive. Houses are more expensive because everybody's got expendable income. The money's not worth what it was. But you know what hasn't gone up? Wages. If you're working, your wages haven't gone up that much. But the price of everything has, that's called stagflation, stagnant wages, high inflation. That happened in the late 70s. That was the demise of Carter, even though it really wasn't Carter's fault. It had a lot to do with Nixon. And even though Reagan didn't rectify it, it was the same monetary policy guy who rectified it. It doesn't matter. Reagan gets the credit. Carter gets the blame. But at the end of the day, that has happened before. There's precedent for it. We don't want it to happen again. Anyway. We just spent trillions of dollars on these stimulus packages because of the pandemic. Now we're going to spend another $1.2 trillion for the infrastructure, but let's face it, we need it. And that will grow the economy because when you got tunnels that we need desperately, when you got more mass transit, when you got more commerce, the economy is going to grow. More jobs, people working construction, et cetera, et cetera. Bernie wants to tack on another $3.5 trillion. Another $3.5 trillion flooding into the economy at a time when inflation is through the roof, when there's plenty of jobs available, and when people are already getting unprecedented amounts of benefits and middle-class tax cuts that Trump put into effect. He wants to pump another $3.5 trillion in. And a lot of people, all the Republicans and a lot of moderate Democrats are saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, that's a little too much for me. So anyway, the Senate passed the $1.2 trillion bill for the infrastructure. They sent it to the House. Now, the House, Nancy Pelosi's in charge of, and AOC's in there, and the squad, and all that, you know. They said, well, thank you for giving us the $1.2 trillion. If the House votes on that $1.2 trillion infrastructure package and votes yes— that goes to Biden's desk. Biden could sign that. We get these tunnels built. We get these bridges built. We, we need this desperately. And Republicans agree. 
But Nancy Pelosi said, well, I'm not going to even consider that $1.2 trillion infrastructure deal unless it's coupled hand in hand with this $3.5 trillion Bernie bill. Unless you're voting to pass the $3.5 trillion, you're not getting the $1.2 trillion. Now, this is where you got to stick with me and ignore the mainstream news because the mainstream news ignores the inevitable, ignores the obvious just to make a headline. Moderate Democrats led by a congressman from New Jersey, Gottheimer from North Jersey, Bergen County kind of spans over Sussex County, a weird district because everything's weird now because of gerrymandering, but whatever. He led a charge of moderate Democrats who demanded, they said, look, we will not even vote to let you start talking about the Bernie bill. We won't even vote to let you start talking about it unless you promise us you give us a date for this $1.2 trillion infrastructure plan. Because what's happening is AOC and her cohorts are saying, and by the way, I hate to say this, but when I've heard AOC speak several different times, she's not that impressive. I'm sorry. Like, I don't mean that because I don't like her or her policies. I've heard her have the opportunity to advance like a counter argument to somebody on the news. And it's never that good. It's never that substantive. I bet there's people in the squad that are more capable of putting forth like a coherent substantive argument than her. She's, she's not, I'm not, I'm just not that impressed. But anyway, they said, look, if you put the infrastructure bill up for a vote without the $3.5 trillion Bernie bill, then we will vote it down. We won't pass the infrastructure bill. We will burn the infrastructure bill just to make a point. So Pelosi was trying to put them in tandem so that she could get them both passed. But the moderate said, well, I'll, I'll tank the 3.5 if you don't vote on this. We already have this passed by the Senate. There's no reason to tank this. Let's argue about them separately. And that's my thing, right? You have an infrastructure bill for $1.2 trillion. You have a $3.5 trillion spending bill. We can consider them both on the merits, but they don't belong together. The Democrats try to make them go together, but it didn't work. They're not together. They're two totally separate pieces of legislation separate them you there's no reason you should be tanking an infrastructure bill that we all agree we need just because you didn't get what you want on something unrelated to it that should not be how the government works period period that's it i mean if we agree on we're going to see this movie but we want to go to a different bar later we're not going to say well i'm not going to the movie with you if i can't go to the bar no we're going to go see the movie and then part ways okay so you pass this bill Anyway, they pushed Pelosi to the point where Pelosi agreed, agreed that she is going to set the infrastructure bill down, set the infrastructure bill down, and the tunnels will be built in a better way than these old tunnels from 1930, which is part of the reason we need it. There's climate change funding in the $1.2 trillion bill. It's not as much as liberals want, but it's there. And I'll get to climate change in a minute. They had her agree that no matter what happens with the $3.5 trillion bill, she's putting the, the infrastructure bill up to a vote on September 27th regardless. Now, of course, AOC and the whole squad, and this is what the media is reporting so the media is reporting two things. This is this is where the two bills are. Both bills are currently in the House, okay? If the House votes to pass the infrastructure bill, it goes right to Biden's desk. It gets signed. It's law. 
if the House votes to pass the $3.5 trillion Bernie bill, then it goes back to the Senate and they still have to pass it. Okay. So the media is acting like it's going to be tanked. Here's what the media is saying. The media is either saying, oh, the Democrats are going to muscle the $3.5 trillion bill through. And they're acting like that means it's going to go through. That's not the case. Then they're acting like AOC is going to sink the $1.2 trillion deal because the progressives are not going to vote for it. Here's what's going to happen. I don't know if the House is going to vote for the $3.5 trillion Bernie bill or not. If they vote for it, they may vote for it before September 27th, before the infrastructure bill. If they do that, it satisfies the caucus in the House, the progressive caucus. Then everybody votes for it. They send it to the Senate. And then we'll talk about the Senate in a minute. Then they all vote on September 27th for the infrastructure bill. That goes to Biden's desk. That gets signed, right? The other scenario is that they don't pass the $3.5 trillion bill. And AOC and the progressives then don't vote for the infrastructure bill. If they do that, though, what the media keeps misreporting is there are enough Republicans. There are enough Republicans. There's the Problem Solvers Caucus Republicans, and there's the Main Street Republicans. There's moderate Republicans in the House. There are enough Republicans in the House to make up the difference for the AOC progressives. The media doesn't want to report it because they want to make everything scary. But the truth is, even if the progressives don't vote for the infrastructure bill because they're protesting the Bernie bill not getting passed, on September 27th, when the infrastructure bill comes up for a vote, there are enough moderate Republicans that will vote for the infrastructure bill that the infrastructure bill will pass. It will go to Biden's desk. Now, here's the flip side. The $3.5 trillion Bernie bill, even if the House passes it, when it goes to the Senate, Kristen Cinema from Arizona and Joe Manchin from West Virginia have already said it's dead on arrival. They are not going to vote for a $3.5 trillion bill, period, period. So the $3.5 trillion, whether the House votes for it and satiates the progressive base or not, is not going to pass the Senate. The $3.5 trillion bill is not happening. Now, Manchin is kind of full of it, right, because he's he wants to cabin down the entitlement spending but he's totally against the climate change restrictions because he's a big advocate of the coal industry, which is complete BS. So he's not totally standing on principle. But cinema, I think cinema truly is standing on principle. I think she's a moderate person who sees that as way too much cash to be infused into the economy, especially right now. And people never seem to understand Keynesian economics, Republicans or Democrats. When the economy is struggling and in need of cash, you infuse it with cash. When the economy is flooded with cash and doesn't need it, you tax higher. You withhold the cash. Right now, when the economy is flooded with cash and inflation is going up, is not the time to flood it with more cash. No matter what Bernie has wanted for all these years, it's not the time now to flood it with more cash. Now, interestingly, when we're talking about that Bernie bill, you know what's interesting? I totally am on board with the climate change portion of that bill. I am totally on board with voting rights in the bill. I wish Bernie and the Democrats would just cabin down their entire wish list and just break it down into the climate change stuff and the voting rights stuff and narrow it all the way down to maybe one trillion, maybe 500 billion, which would be a lot better for us to handle right now and pass that. Get the voting rights thing passed. That's important. Get the voting rights bill passed. Get the climate change part of it passed. But throwing this whole goodie bag. I look, I understand people need money else, but it's like people have money right now. And if you look at your paycheck, one of the biggest parts of your paycheck is the federal tax and then the Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security is a big part of it. 
Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security have their own brackets in your paycheck. If you think that expanding vastly Medicare, Medicaid, and all these other programs is not going to eventually hit your paycheck as a middle-class taxpayer, you don't know what's going to hit you. Because they can say now that they're not going to tax you, but with that level of increased spending and entitlements, which will never go away, that massive increase to entitlements, I promise you, I promise you it's going to hit your pocket. And if you think your kid's going to be the one going to free community college and pre-K, maybe you're lucky. Maybe you're lucky. But chances are, if you keep busting your ass a couple more years, you do all right. You're right in the middle class. You could barely afford your house, but you're paying it. You could barely afford anything, but you're paying it. You're probably going to be cut out of a lot of those programs because you're going to pass the threshold. That's just the cold, hard, true nature of it. That's why I don't trust it. Because as liberal as I was growing up and as liberal as I am in terms of helping people, the more I've seen as time goes on that it seems like they're always taxing people who are trying to climb the best they can to give it to other people. And I don't know about this $3.5 trillion plan from Bernie. I think it's too much for right now where we are. I just do. And a lot of moderate Democrats agree. And every Republican agrees. And so they got to put a pause on that. They got to put a pause on that. Yeah, and the military employs a ton of people and it protects our interests nationwide. Should it be cabined in on spending? Yeah, probably a little, but it's a, there's a valid reason to spend on the military. So at the end of the day, I don't think this $3.5 trillion plan is going to pass. I think it might pass vastly winnowed down. Whether the House does it or the Senate does it is irrelevant. I do think this $1.2 trillion infrastructure plan will pass. Whether the Republican moderates vote for it or the progressives vote for it is irrelevant. It's probably going to pass. That's good news for all of us, in my opinion. When I talk about Biden, one of the things about Biden is at the end of the day, at the end of the day, um, yeah, and over 120 they should pay. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> That's a that's a that's already the threshold. See how the threshold creeps down? It always creeps down. Eventually, it'll be eighty thousand. Then it'll be you know it it creeps down. Remember when Obama was in office? Remember he had a task force to try to curb our ballooning debt. And no one remembers this because all the Republicans mischaracterized Obama and said he was this big liberal spender. Now all the liberals want to demonize Obama because he was basically a Republican, right? In our new found age of liberalism, Obama was like a Republican. They don't like him, right? But the truth was Obama had a task force to see how we could draw down our entitlement spending. And one of the things he wanted to do was slightly raise the retirement age for Medicare and Medicaid. He was finding ways to try to cut our costs. Now with Biden, all of a sudden we want to just vastly expand our costs. I mean, where's the discrepancy there? Somebody's wrong. When Obama's trying to cut them and he's trying to vastly expand them, somebody is, you know, got the wrong idea here. I think it's Biden. I, I got to be honest. With you. I think Joe Biden... As I think, here's what I think. I think Joe really, truly cares about the people. I think he truly, truly, truly cares about the people. I think he, and you're right, Trump tax cuts, they, they got to expire for the wealthy. Trump tax cuts for the wealthy and for corporations have got to expire. I have railed against those Trump tax cuts for corporations on every show. They should expire. And that's how we're going to pay for the, that's how we should pay for the $1.2 trillion infrastructure and like a $1 trillion or $500 billion 
uh, investment from Bernie. But we can't pay much more just from corporate tax hikes. That's the scary thing. That's the problem. We can't go so much higher. We can't spend $4.7 trillion right now. We just dropped like $2 trillion in the last year. Are we crazy? Come on. Come on. Money doesn't grow on trees now. It's just, it's just unfathomable. It's, it's just not sustainable, whether we like the ideas behind them or not. We all want a perfect world. It doesn't exist. You got to balance it. You got to balance spending with inflation. Otherwise, we're all going to be miserable. Go out and try to buy something right now and tell me if it's fun. You might have money in your paycheck, but you can't afford food. So just tell me if it's fun or does it balance out? And if you're making a little bit of money, you're going to suffer. I'm telling you. Anyway, luckily, there's people in Congress, still some that have common sense that know what to do and what not to do. Anyway, um, I think Joe Biden, right? I think Joe always really, truly in his heart has been a progressive person who cares about people and wants to help people and truly is like this FDR progressive, which I admire and I admire FDR. And for the time, we needed that. And I think... Joe has had to, and, and, and good for him, but this is, he's been an adaptable politician who has gotten things done. And when you get things done, you have to go to the center and you have to compromise and you have to swallow some things you don't want to swallow and you have to really make things happen. I think Joe has earned a reputation from being a good senator for all these years of being a moderate, being somebody who maybe isn't as progressive as he in his heart sees himself to be. And so I think what's happening now with Joe is that when he went through this election cycle and a lot of people on the left kept calling him a centrist and saying he's not good enough and they want Bernie, they want Bernie, they want Bernie. I think he's always kind of sympathized with Bernie and he's always liked Bernie and he's always admired Bernie's um, utopian, idealistic type view on things, even though he knew and it came up in his debates with Bernie that it was not practical and it was not pragmatic and it cannot be attained in the world we live in. So I think what's happening is that when Joe finally got elected, he's old. He's at the end. He's finally president. He cares about people. I think Joe said to himself, look, I'm going to govern from the left. I'm going to prove all these people wrong that I'm not a progressive. I'm going to prove everybody wrong that I don't care, that I'm not a spender, that I don't want to go out there and transform society. I'm going to make my mark in a huge progressive way akin to FDR. That's what I'm going to do. And I think in Joe doing that, he's kind of gone against some of us who thought he was more central to try to placate those on the left who were mad that he wasn't left enough. And I think it's a little disappointing for people like me who wanted him to be tougher internationally, who wanted him to peel back some of this massive spending. But I think on the other hand, he's also showing his pragmatism and his his centrist ability in the fact that he got a bipartisan infrastructure bill through the Senate. Chances are he's going to get it through the House and chances are it's going to become law. And that's a huge achievement. We haven't been able to get an infrastructure bill in like 10, 20 years. And he's going to pass an infrastructure bill, a massive, massive infrastructure bill with Republican support. That is a that shows how good he can be as a centrist, pragmatic politician. That's why we voted for him. I think he's a little sly in the fact that I don't know if he truly wants that $3.5 trillion bill or if he knows it's going to fail, but he looks like he tried and he gets the $1.2 trillion. I don't know. But I think some of my critique of him and some of that is coming from him just governing farther to the left than I thought. And that's going to obviously please people further to the left and frustrate people over here in my little realm. But that's life. 
and that's what it is. But overall, you know, I haven't been thrilled with the presidency. But look, if this infrastructure bill passes, I am going to be thrilled with the presidency in the sense that, hey, we got one of the biggest issues I cared about passed, and I can sleep at night knowing there's somebody competent with experience in office. But you want to talk about international affairs, it's been an absolute nightmare. Anyway, that's my take on Joe Biden. That's my take on everything that's been going on. I'm going to open it up. I've been ranting for a long time, but look, it's been a long time since I got the chance to talk to you. So I'm happy you all stuck with me. You all did stick with me. And I really, really appreciate it. I hope you'll join me every other week when I'm on free, especially you, my brother. Um, and I only call out Vree because Vree wasn't here when I was on Thursdays because Vree is in a league, a bowling league, and he couldn't make it. So, you know, I wanted him to be here. You guys were all here anyway. So anyway, appreciate all of you, though, obviously. I'm glad you tuned in. I hope you like the music. I hope you like everything I was talking about. I think the two weeks gives me time to kind of build up stuff to talk about and get it out there. But I am. I say it every week. I know. But I'm going to try to do more guest format, you know, get guests in here. I want Neil on. I, I talked to Charles Riley the other day. I want him on. I'm going to get these guests on more and I'll cut the monologue because hopefully it won't be as much to rant about. Cut the monologue down to like an hour max, maybe hopefully 45 minutes and then get a guest in. So we could just vary up the show a little bit. But I still hope you all enjoyed this show. Um, I'm opening it up to phone calls. I got the uh, the lines are open on the app. Skype, I don't know if the number still works, but you can give it a shot. Um, and I'm open for calls. So if anybody wants to call in, have a little conversation. I'm limiting the calls in time. We're not going to talk for 10 minutes, but I'm opening it up for uh, phone calls. If anybody wants to discuss anything we discussed uh, today anything i forgot but try to stick to current events because i don't want to go too far off we can save that for like little special shows or whatever but uh oh, here it is let's see i think i'm getting the call rick you there larry i'm here yeah i guess the uh, skype works still the number works guys i'm going to limit the calls to it but it works so if an emergency you can call that skype number uh again so what's up rick Nothing, man. i don't know why your damn app doesn't work it's frustrating me <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, but it's all right. It's all right, Rick. It's still echoey. I'm trying to sit across the room. You're not echoey on my end anymore. Cool. Okay, so since you're limiting the time, let's discuss the abortion thing. Yes. Okay, so it's come to my attention that the, the problem is is the way we're arguing, and I think it was Hanin was saying something about how many men, how many men are trying to control women. Yes. And I, I don't think I don't think that's the issue. I mean. Two of the five sponsors of the Texas bill were women. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, I agree with that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So the people protesting out in the street, and th this really comes down to understanding the other point of view. These people, and I posted a comment about this, they, it's about the sanctity of life. And whether that's religious-based or not is, is pretty much irrelevant. I was having a discussion with somebody the other day about it, and I was like, well, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not kill. Does that mean our murder laws are religious? Right, right. So my idea is that we need to discuss this with these people from their own perspective of, of biblical tenets, which says that we're not the judges, God's the judge, and they should rest assured in their mindset that all of these people that get abortions or give abortions are going to burn in hell at some point. <laughs> you know, what's funny. That's, that's a great way to put it. And I think it's, it's indicative of like how you can be outside the box and kind of innovative in these arguments. I think you're hundred percent right. I think we have a tendency now to want to, 
and I've talked about this, right? And so have you. Every time some issue comes up, we just are so anxious to pull it into whatever narrative we've had. So like it's anxious to say, well, this is a men versus women issue. But like so many of the anti-abortion people I've seen are women. So many of the protesters are women. It's not really a men versus – it's a woman's rights issue because only they can get pregnant. But it's not a man versus women issue. Yeah, causation correlation, right? I mean mm-hmm. – that's what it comes to. If we can get mm-hmm. pregnant, I'm sure they'd still be trying to ban abortion. No, you're 100% right. And I think, and by the way, Rick, a lot of these people, not all of them, but a lot of the ones, especially the religiously driven ones, are against contraception, actually. Right. You know? No, I know. Men used to get harassed. I see these memes on Facebook a lot lately about, you know, women, they're staying outside a sperm donor yes. clinic yelling at the man like, oh, no, every sperm is sacred. And I'm like, that's... That's happened, man. Yes. That happened. Yes. No, I I agree. These people aren't wrong in the sense of life is sacred, right? And I think we all, like, all the way across the board, we all agree on that. Yes. It's just where it starts and what it means and and how life could actually get worse for a baby that's – an unwanted baby that's born. But uh, I've said this before in your show – You'd be hard-pressed to find a man who had an unwanted pregnancy who wasn't okay with abortion. 100%. Right. Right. So, no, I I think that's my time. No, hold on. (laughs) Well, no, I look, I think think you're right. And it was interesting because I have a buddy who who used to be very liberal when we were younger. And now he's, he's like, he's surpassed me gone right. But he's not, he's not, you know, uh, hard to talk to. So, we were having a conversation only a few weeks ago, and I guess he he got he got conservative even socially to some extent, which was weird to me. And he started, I guess he found God a little bit too, which is funny because I know you and I, especially you and, and and me to an extent too, we we are somewhat religious. We believe in God and et cetera. So, but he went to this extent where he's starting to you know rationalize anti-abortion laws by way of religious beliefs, and. I wasn't against it. I just engaged him where he was, like you said. I was like, well, he's like, well, if, if it starts at conception, I said, well, did you know that like certain fetuses are the same as humans until a certain trimester or whatever? So I wouldn't call it a human life yet. He was listening, though, because he's, you know, he's interested in the logical rationalization or debate, even with his religious beliefs. He's not just anti-women. Right. He's not even anti-women at all. The guy I know, you know. Yeah, I don't think this is an anti-woman issue at all. And all, it's just like with the racism, all the women are doing by blaming men and saying it's men trying to control them and we're in the handmaid's tale is alienating allies because Agreed. we're all men and they're saying all men. I was told the other day, you don't have the right parts. You need to stay out of this. And I'm like, see, uh, that's crazy. Oh, you said that to the, the legislators who passed all these laws in the first place or or did the Roe versus Wade judgment. Yeah. I mean, we need each other. Yeah. No, I agree. And Rick, so here's we're running out of time and I don't know if I'm going to be how many more callers I'm going to take. So I will give you, say, like a solid minute, minute and a half. I'm not even going to respond. You just give me whatever rant or rebuttal you have to my to whatever you disagreed with, with the Bernie thing, just so that there's an alternate opinion on the podcast. I'm not going to argue. Just if you have an opinion you want to give, just drop it, and it'll be out there for everybody has, to listen to. It has nothing to do with Bernie for me anymore right. at this stage. All it is is if we can spend that much money four or five years on the military, then that money is available, and we should focus on priorities that matter to we the people, not you know the military-industrial complex. 
done. And how much money were they spending on the military? Just because I know you typed it, but people. It's, it's almost 800 billion a year right now. Right. Right. So I, no, so I just want to. almost a trillion dollars, dude. And, <laughs> and you, I did a thing where if you stack a billion $1 bills, 68 miles high. That's just a billion. It's crazy. It really is. I know. <laughs> but no, I wanted you to just have a chance to, to put that on the air so the people that listen later can hear your rebuttal. That's all. Um, I appreciate it, bro. Yeah, no problem. All right, so Rick, I'm going to let you go because the, the thing's winding down. I will limit my monologue next time so you could talk longer. Um, and I know I mean, we've been talking about getting people on. I'm going to do all that. With the two-week buffer, what is interesting, Rick, is I think with the two-week buffer, I'm going to have two weeks to come up with ideas and stuff. We're going to have more time to be able to plan, like you come in with debate with somebody, stuff like that. We'll have more creativity going. I think it's going to allow me that that planning stage. So stay yeah, tuned. Mortal no, you really do. We're going to set that up. <laughs> Honestly, Rick, for like we but I'm going to put it in my calendar to talk to both of you this week. Even if the next cast isn't the one, we're going to set a date solid for that debate, like set up some topics and like make it happen within the next like this fall. We're going to make it happen. Right. On. I'm so afraid. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it soon, brother. Thanks for calling too, Rick. Great to hear from you, dude. Bye. All right. Later. If anybody else wants to call, I have a solid, I want to say like seven minutes left on the podcast. So feel free to call, preferably on the app. But if you want to call on the phone, man, I forget the number. It's been so long. The number is 973-536-2530. 973-536-2530. Or you could just call on the app. It's pretty easy on the app, but sometimes the app doesn't work that well. I've had different people say that it doesn't work with the headphones or whatever. So call up if you want to talk. About anything I've said, just chime in, just say hello because it's been so long. Uh, respond to anything Rick said, although I think Rick's points are pretty solid. I mean, I don't know that there's really much to disagree with with what Rick said. I mean, you know, even his his military spending point, I mean, it's valid. Hey, you know, can I disagree with it factually, logically? No. I mean, if we're spending that much money, well, I mean, how much of that money realistically can be reallotted from those operations to things that we care about domestically? How much of it can? And there's probably a number that we could that we could attain. Again, we should be talking about these things, but we often don't. Anybody else want to call? I'm giving you another like minute to call. And if not, I'm going to wind it down. Um, but it's great to hear from Rick because Rick is... <laughs> He's he's such a and we still have to do part two of Rick's story too because the first story got so much positive feedback, um, and it was really uh, something that hit people. I think interestingly, just somebody's experience um, really does. That's that's what I want to get more on the show too is people's experiences far and wide, just personal experiences. So I have I have kind of a short list of people. I have people that I've promised to come on. I have things I've ideas I've promised to do, and you, you guys know I'm always always going over time with like writing now and, and with the job and with music, this album is, you know, I could finish it now and I'd have like, if I just stopped now, stop recording right now, I'd have 38 songs or something. And, and I still have to record a bunch to get there. I'd have 25 already recorded, but I just want to finish it the way I envision and the way I envision is slightly over 40 songs. And so it's just taken some time, but it's really, really dope. It's really a great project. I'm proud of it. And once I get it out though, it's going to free up so much other time for so many other ideas, including the expansion and the enhancement of this podcast. So I do want to get there. 
uh, I'm just working towards it. So I know I always say I have these ideas and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And then I take a whole summer hiatus and you guys are like, what, are you, what is this guy doing? But I think this every other week thing is really going to allow us to get more ideas tackled. And I know that's going to be, it's going to be bumping, but the siren Rick thing is going to happen. I'm actually going to talk to them this week and, and get a date certain. The Neil, I want to have Neil Elko come on and talk about the inflation thing because he might even disagree with me. I don't know. He, he might totally disagree with me and just uh, sun me. I don't know what he's going to do, but I'm going to get him on here. Uh, and there's a few more I want to get on here just as like scheduled guests. And I want more phone calls, you know. So hopefully, when we have these guests, you guys will get on back and forth. But I want the siren Rick thing. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna set that up this week. I'm putting it in my calendar as soon as I get off the phone to talk to the two of them to set up a date to do it. And to have them live. I know Siren's not generally available Friday. She's always better on Thursdays. But I'll try to find a day where she could get off Friday and do it. And it'll be it'll be good. Um, but look, at the end of the day, I am... Yes. See, there you are. Si, you're here. So, so I'm going to talk to you and Rick in a group chat this week. And we're going to set the date and some topics and stuff. And I think it's going to be really, really interesting. And if that goes well, I'm going to do a couple more verses. I'm going to get like, you know, different types of people that I know are on different sides of the spectrum, but also like logical and, you know, can, can, can engage in nuanced conversation like professionally and not get too angry. And I'm going to get them in here and I'm going to do that every now and then. I think it'll be fun. I hope you guys lo- you know, enjoyed my input and enjoyed listening to me. It's been a long time coming. Everybody's been asking me when I've been gone, hey, come back, come back, come back. So I'm back. I'm not going anywhere. I will see you not next Friday, but the following Friday. We're going to have a lot of good content for you. I'm happy to be back with you. Thank you so much for joining me. Please share this podcast when I post it. Share the recorded version so other people listen. I want to get more people on the live cast. I'm, I swear to God, I'm trying to grow this thing. It's just going to take a long time to organically do it. But I'm trying to grow this thing. And I want it to grow. I want it to be consistent. I want to put a lot of effort into it. You guys make it possible. And let's go out to the world and kind of show them what we got going on here. Love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Siren and Rick, I will talk to you this week about some stuff. Freezy, I'll talk to you about football on on Sunday. Everybody else, good night. God bless. I'll talk to you very, very soon. Larry from Logic and Larry signing off.